What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 79, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN Plus 19 card headline by Joanna Yanjajak versus Michelle Watterson. This fight card will take place in Tampa, Florida this Saturday, October 12th, 2019. This fight card will feature 14 fights, all on ESPN Plus, with the 8-fight prelim card starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and the 6-fight main card starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So a lot of fights going down this weekend in Tampa, Florida. Can't wait to break them all down. Just quick note about the audio quality of this episode. There was a lot of construction going on uh, outside my apartment, so I decided to move the recording into my bathroom. So might get a little bit of echo in here. I'm trying to make the audio sound as good as possible, but I hope it's not too annoying. I would understand if, if uh, it got on your nerves, but I uh, hope you, hope you uh, stick around for the rest of the episode because we got a great fight card, and I believe we will have some interesting matchups to go along with, and I'm excited to break these fights down. And with that being said, we're going to start things off in the women's flyweight division where we have J.J. Aldrich, who is 7-3, taking on Lauren Mueller, who is 5-2. The opening betting line for this one was Aldrich, the favorite at minus 232, Mueller as the plus 170 underdog. Right now, we are seeing Aldrich minus 162, Mueller at plus 140. So, line margins tightening up in this one. And I understand why it's two, minus 230 was a bit wide for Aldrich, although I do favor her in this fight. I just think she's the much better well-rounded martial artist in this one i think she'll be the better striker and the better grappler so it's pretty hard to see mueller winning this one but uh, we get we could always see a close decision as we often do in uh, women's mma but i just think that aldrich's striking is a lot more fluid she has good pressure she actually had a very competitive round one with macy barber i think she might even drop barber with some punches in that one but Barber came back in the second and was able to rock her with some shots and finish that fight off. But Aldridge looked good in that one. She had had a nice decision victory over uh, Viana earlier last year, uh, coming through as an underdog in that one. And Mueller had a, a few bad performances in a row. She was, uh, I think, 4-0 going into that fight with uh, Yanan Wu and got tapped out by a guard armbar. It was an extremely bad performance. And then her fight versus Bethello, she was just uh, soundly outgrappled that fight, uh, was outstruck in that one, just did not look very good. But Mueller does train at Alliance with some uh, good training partners over there, and it's entirely possible she's made a lot of improvements fight to fight. But uh, from what I've seen on tape, I definitely think Aldridge is the right side in this one. I think Mueller could possibly make it somewhat competitive on the feet if they decide to have a, a kickboxing match for 15 minutes. It could be 29-28 either woman in this one. So Eileen Aldridge, I think she will win the decision in this one. But it's not a confident pick, and I think at this price, it would be a dog or pass. I, I just think it's a stay-away fight in general. Um, maybe look for some live betting opportunities, but this one seems like a pass to me. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division, where we have Marvin Vittori, who is 13-3-1, taking on Andrew Sanchez, who is 11-4. The opening betting line for this one was Vittori minus 270 to Sanchez at plus 190. Right now we are seeing Vittori minus 335 to Sanchez plus 275. So 
we got the biggest favorite on the card right now, Marvin Vittori, in this fight. And I think this is a good matchup for Vittori, but I think that where the line is at now is a bit wide. I think that Vittori should be the, the better striker in this one. And Vittori has incredible takedown defense. He's got good scrambles. He's able to reverse position and get on top. He did that versus... Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. and he did that versus Cesar Ferreira so I think that uh, Sanchez comes from a wrestling background he's probably going to be looking to clinch up and get takedowns in this fight I just don't think he will have success doing so and I think that if this fight plays out at range then Vittori should be the better striker by a pretty wide margin Sanchez was actually getting touched up on the feet and hurt pretty badly in the second round versus uh, Bayut not too long ago, so that's definitely not a good look. Although, he did have a, a good showing in round three. He had cardio problems in the past, you know, gassing out versus Ryan James. Everybody remembers that fight, and Sanchez looked good in round three. He came back from losing round two. He had the better cardio, and he grinded out round three to win that decision, so he's definitely making some improvements in his cardio and in his game overall, so I see, think this fight is a bit closer than the lines say right now. I would cap Vittori around minus 250 or so. I think that he will stuff takedowns. He will be pretty all right in the clinch, and he will outstrike Sanchez at range, but I think Sanchez will be the more aggressive guy. Vittori will be looking to sprawl and brawl a little bit, so it's possible that uh, Sanchez maybe steals a round or two based on aggression and just doing a little bit more in the clinch. I just don't see that uh, exactly playing out, and I think that Vittori should win this one uh, via decision, possibly even getting that late finish, uh, maybe a second or third round knockout, because he should be uh, the better striker by a wide margin. And I've been impressed with the improvements that Vittori has been making in the striking. He looks to be getting his boxing really on point. He showed that in his last fight versus Ferreira. So uh, the pick is going to be Marvin Vittori to win by third round TKO. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Hector Aldana, who is 4-2, taking on Miguel Baeza, who is 7-0. The opening betting line for this one was Baeza, the favorite, at minus 230 to Aldana at plus 170. Right now, we are seeing Baeza minus 220 to Aldana at plus 180. So, Beza making his UFC debut in this one, coming off of his Tuesday Night Contender Series win over Reyna. It was a pretty decent performance, I would say. He showed he's definitely UFC ready, pretty well-rounded, but I just saw a few weaknesses from him that made me think that this is actually a closer matchup than the odds indicate. Aldana right now is sitting at plus 180. I'd say that has a pretty decent amount of value, and I believe I bet him earlier in the week at plus 165 now. Aldana is not a super reliable guy. He's you know His record 4-2 and two, he shows his inexperience. He does not have very good takedown defense or uh, defensive jiu-jitsu, although the last time that we've seen it, was around four years ago, but it was it was a bad showing. He got taken down right away, single leg by Enrique Marin, back taken and tapped out all in a minute's time. So he definitely uh, doesn't thrive on the ground, I would say, and he definitely likes to stand and bang in most of his fights. But that's where I think that this fight is, is interesting because I was extremely worried about Baeza's striking defense in his fight with Reyna. He was getting tagged with some punches. He did not move his head very well. He didn't react to punches too well. 
and he did drop Reyna a few times. Maybe he dropped him with an overhand right in round one. He dropped him with some knees in round two, and he stole the rounds. But like before those, besides those knockdowns, he was not winning those rounds very convincingly. And in round three, he was getting touched up with some punches. It was a much closer round. And in the last thirty seconds of the round, he dove on a submission and didn't get the submission, and he ended the round on bottom. So uh, I'm not really impressed with. Uh, Baez's overall fight uh, IQ or his well-roundedness. I think that this fight, uh, if Baez was uh, super smart and you could trust him to execute a game plan, I think that he would come in here try to hit takedowns, take out Donna down, and out grapple him, which where is where he should have the biggest advantage on the feet. I think it's much closer, and I think that Aldana could actually be the one uh, landing the bit better shots in the exchanges and possibly even hurting Baeza on the feet with some punches because Aldana, his style is standing and banging. He, that's really all he wants to do. His most recent fights against Staropoli and Keenan Song have both been just wars where he got cut up and hit with a lot of shots and bruised and bloodied but he didn't care it seems like that was the pl- the game plan going in and he's willing to do so so he doesn't have good defense either he gets hit a lot he gets cut as i just mentioned so it could be a close striking fight we could see Baez and just outclass him honestly he could be the better grappler better striker he's definitely the more technical fighter it's just he's gonna have to deal with that power and that pressure of aldana and i just don't think he's ready for it yet i think that this fight stays standing and i think that this they maybe aldana lures Baez into a striking war and that that matchup definitely favors aldana so i think that this fight stays in the Feet. I think that they trade punches on the feet, and I think that Aldana is able to land the cleaner, harder shots and possibly even get a knockout on Baeza. So the pick is actually going to be Aldana to get the upset at, um, I'm going to go with second round knockout. So his money line, I got in on him at plus 167 earlier this week. Plus 180, missed the line action by a little bit, but I'd still say there's some value there. And I'd say that Aldana would definitely fight for your money at plus 180. Next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Marlon Vera, who is 16-5-1, taking on Andre Yule, who is 15-5. The opening betting line for this one was Vera, the favorite, at minus 195 to Yule, plus 155. Right now, we are seeing Vera, minus 155, Yule, plus 135. So, more action coming in on the dog, Yule's way, and I agree with the line movement in this one. I agree with Vera being the favorite, uh, just not as much of a favorite as he originally opened. I think his chances are more like 60 as opposed to 66, um, which is what the odds uh, implied probability indicated. Um, So Vera is going to be looking to get this fight to the floor because he's the much better grappler than Yule. Uh, Yule has shown some weaknesses in the grappling. He was taken down by a, a tired Anderson Dos Santos. He was dominated by Nathaniel Wood, and he's definitely shown some weakness on the ground. I think even back in his LFA fights, he showed some some weakness uh, in the grappling realm of things. So Farah has most of his wins by submission. He can strike too. He can finish you on the feet with some strikes. He's done that to a few opponents lately. Uh, I just think that he's going to take the path of least resistance and try to get this fight to the floor because... On the feet at range, I think Yule will actually be the better striker. Despite Vera having some striking skill of his own, I think that the reach and the power of Yule will be a little too much. He's a, a real rangy southpaw. He knows how to use his left hand very well. And 
I think if this fight stays on the feet for prolonged periods of time, we will see Yule start to win those striking exchanges and possibly even hurt Vera with that left hand of his. Now, I think that um, Vera is kind of a weird fighter. He usually loses the first round or two. He, lo he lost the first round to some really mediocre fighters in the past few years. Willigi Beren, Guido Canetti, and Noah Clean Hernandez. Those are three guys, so I, I think two of them are out of the UFC already. Hernandez is 0-2 in the UFC. is probably on his way out, so it's not a good style for Vera to... I mean, he's he's really finding openings. He's trying to get that submission. He usually finishes the opponents after losing early, but I think that that would not be a wise decision here. I think that if Yule gets ahead of that early lead, he could keep that lead and could win a decision or possibly get a finish here. So I think Vera should abandon his typical start slow, lose round one style, and come back and finish you in round two. I think he should try to chase this takedown early, gas Yule out, and outgrapple him on the ground. If Vera is not able to get the takedown in the first two rounds, he, he definitely loses. I think that, that means that the fight is, is staying striking and Yule should be controlling that. And I could see, we could see Vera be much more competitive than I expect and possibly even win the striking exchanges in this one. Uh, I just think that it's a it's a close fight. Uh, I think that it's hard to side with Yule because his he really is may probably blue belt level, maybe purple belt level in the ground versus Vera, who's more like a brown or black belt level. Trains a tenth planet jujitsu, has great. Uh, he's got great back takes, rear naked chokes. He can submit you off his back with an armbar or a triangle as well. Uh, is kind of willing to play bottom at some time. So uh, I, I think that Vera is the rightful side in this one. I think that he will eventually get that takedown, will get his grappling game going, and will probably submit Andre Yule uh, in the second or third round like he typically does. So I'm going to go with a a back take rear naked choke from uh, Marlon Vera, and I'm going to go with him to get it down in round two. So uh, the pick is going to be Vera to win by second round submission. The next fight takes place in the flyweight division. We have Divison Figueredo, who is 16-1, taking on Tim Elliott, who is 15-8-1. The opening betting line for this one was Figueredo, the favorite, at minus 210 to Elliott at plus 160. Right now, we are seeing Figueredo minus 190 to Elliott plus 165. So the line staying just about the same. There's definitely two-way action coming in on this fight, and... I honestly expected uh, Figueredo to be a little bit more of a favorite in this one. I was just so impressed with his last performance, and I think that people might be underrating his last win in the betting line here. Pantoja is an incredibly well-rounded fighter. He's uh, a great grappler, got great back takes and submission control on the ground, and he's been making leaps and bounds improvements in his striking, and Figueredo just outclassed Pantoja in that fight. He was hurting Pantoja on the feet with some big strikes, with some powerful right hands and elbows on the feet, and he was stuffing the takedowns of Pantoja. He got taken down maybe once or twice. He popped back up to the feet. He showed improved get-ups. He showed good scrambles, and that was what exactly what you wanted to see from Figueredo after losing his fight to Formiga. He really got outclassed by Formiga, taken down, held down, just got dominated with the top control of Formiga, and I thought, honestly, Pantoja was going to do the same thing to him, but he showed massive improvements fight to fight. And I think that he has another good matchup here because he's taken on Tim Elliott coming off of a 22-month layoff. Last fight was in December of 2017. 
it was a nice submission win over uh, Mark De La Rosa. Uh, but I just think Elliot is his style is very weird. He, he's got that hands low style. He throws a lot of leg kicks to get inside on you, and then he tries to go for the takedowns. He's actually kind of similar to Crone Gracie, who we will talk about later on the main card. But he's not looking to strike with you at range at all. He's looking to get inside, get the takedowns, and make this a scrambling type of fight. He almost encourages scrambling on the ground. Elliot is not a really uh, skilled top control grappler. He likes. Uh, just scrambling, trying to snatch a submission uh, in transition, and just getting in wild uh, brawl type of grappling exchanges where he's going back and forth and uh, reversing and getting on top and sweeping. And he, he's really an exciting grappler to watch. And I think that this fight will have some great grappling exchanges, but I just don't see Elliot having the top control to hold Figueroa down. I think Elliot would need a back take to win this fight because... Pantoja has great back takes. He's got great top control, and he attempted a back take on Figueroa. Figueroa scrambled out and got back to his feet. He tried taking uh, Fig down. Fig just popped right back up to his feet from uh, open guard. So uh, I just don't think that Elliott's top game is good enough to hold Figueroa down. If he's attempting those takedowns, Figueroa should scramble, should get back to his feet, and should land hard strikes on the feet. Now, I was really impressed with his elbows in the clinch uh, versus Pantoja, and I think that that can be a massive weapon here. Uh, Pantoja took an, a massive amount of damage in that last fight. I was actually pretty surprised he wasn't knocked out, and I think that Elliot will not be able to take those same shots if Fig is landing them in this fight. So I see Elliot trying to close the distance to get takedowns, get uh, get the scramble game going, get some back takes, and get a submission. I see Figueroa, his takedown defense standing as he is get ups uh, being trustworthy he should be able to get back up to his feet avoid the submission avoid the back take and will probably knock Elliot out on the feet if this fight uh, is on the feet for long periods of time so I'm going to go with Figueroa to get the third round TKO in this one and it should be a real fun fight and I actually have uh, a three unit bet on Figueroa at minus 185. Uh, pretty confident in him here. I mentioned earlier I thought he would be around minus 250, minus 300. So I think we're getting a pretty big edge on the books in this one. Uh, minus 185 I think is around 63 or 64%. And I cap him more around 70 to 75%. So we're getting a, a 5, 7, 10% edge on the books depending on how you look at it. And I think that, that would be a good bet uh, on Figueroa in this one. So the pick Figueroa third round knockout, three units, minus 185. You can check out all my official bets on my Bet MMA Tips page, which will be linked on my Twitter, uh, UFO underscore UFC on Twitter. Um, so quick little self plug there, and we're going to keep moving along with the card to the welterweight division where we have Max Griffin, who is 15 and 6, taking on Alex Morono, who is 16 and 5. The opening betting line for this one was Morono, the slight favorite at minus 130 to Griffin at minus 110. Right now, we are seeing the line flip to now Griffin minus 140 to Morono at plus 120. I understand the line movement in this one. I think that Griffin should be the favorite in this one, although it is a very close fight, and it's a very winnable fight for either guy. I'll 
similarities between the two is both of them started off very aggressive in their last fight. Griffin came out aggressive trying to get the early takedown versus Imadayev, and Morono came out aggressive putting the pressure on Zach Otto trying to uh, outstrike him. So it's entirely possible that both of these guys do that in this fight, and maybe one of them gets clipped in the first minute and possibly knocked out. So that's always a possibility, but we'll analyze the fight fully and all the possibilities. I think that the most likely scenario is Griffin trying to come out here and hit takedowns and try to outgrapple Alex Morono because Morono has been taken down in the four before. He's shown a weakness. He has been outgrappled to decisions uh, like versus Jordan Meehan and even versus Kita Nakamura not too long ago. But uh, on the feet, it should be a very close fight. I mean, Morono looked very impressive versus Keenan Song. He had very uh, accurate striking in that one, uh, picked his shots very well, and looked to have some ma massive improvements. And as I mentioned earlier, he pressured Otto. He hit him with a, a good spinning back kick, comes from that Taekwondo background, and was able to force a bad shot out of Otto, caught a tight guillotine, used it to get mount, and then smashed Otto from top position to get the ground and pound TKO finish. So it was a very good performance from Otto, and or excuse me, from Morono against Otto. And Otto's a black belt, and he shot in on Morono, and Morono snatched up a real good guillotine that eventually gave him the mount. So Morono is, is dangerous on the ground, and he couldn't possibly lock up one of those same guillotines uh, here versus Griffin, but I like the, I like Griffin's takedowns versus Imadayev. I mean, Imadayev is a super sloppy fighter who honestly de doesn't really look too worthy to be in the UFC, has not fought since, and... Griffin was able to take Imadayev down. He just wasn't able to keep him down, which which was really detrimental to him. Griffin used a ton of energy uh, getting those takedowns and just didn't have too much to show for it. But I think Imadayev's get-ups are actually a little bit better than Morono's. And if Griffin is able to hit the takedowns on Morono, I don't see Morono having that same get-up ability um, to get back to his feet. And it's just it's hard because Griffin is kind of a big dude for welterweight and he doesn't uh, move extremely fast on the ground so if you start scrambling and trying to get back up to your feet he doesn't have too many options to keep you down he's not really a submission threat or a back take kind of uh, kind of guy so it's difficult for him to, to keep top position and when he doesn't keep top position he uses a lot of energy getting those takedowns and he ends up pretty gassed out in the later rounds which he was versus Imadayev he was huffing and puffing in round three possibly even lost round three uh, and uh, he got hit with some pretty decent punches in that round too. So uh, Morono has also faded in round three before. So uh, it's possible that both of these guys' cardio drop off in round three, and it's a maybe a one-one decision or one-one fight heading into the third. And whoever has more in the tank is going to grind out the decision victory. I think that that's how this fight goes. It's I'd say Griffin probably gets the takedowns in round one and wins round one. He has a little more difficulty in round two getting the takedowns, and Morono wins that round. And then round three is both of these guys are going to be pretty tired, and it's going to come down to who wants it more and who can grind out that decision. And I just think that Griffin has a little bit more uh, pass to victory in this one. I think that he could uh, outstrike Morono on the feet, and I think that Griffin could hit takedowns and outcrapple Morono on the ground, while Morono's uh, only path to victory to me seems uh, stuffing takedowns, outstriking Griffin on the feet, or possibly snatching up a submission on a sloppy takedown attempt from Griffin. But one thing I will mention about this fight is what I uh, really liked when I saw as I mentioned, Moreno comes from that Taekwondo background, which means he likes throwing a lot of spinning attacks. And 
Imadayev was throwing a lot of spinning attacks versus Max Griffin, and Max Griffin timed them very well and hit his takedowns off those spinning attempts, which was really uh, good to see. I definitely made note of that when I was watching these two. So if Moreno is throwing those spinning back kicks again, look for um, Griffin to time his takedowns and to hit those uh, to uh, takedowns off of the spinning attacks. So um, the pick is going to be Griffin to get it done by decision. Not a confident pick. Both of them have a little spotty cardio, and it's a definitely a winnable fight for Morono. So it, not a confident pick. Would not bet Griffin at minus 140. Uh, don't see too much value on Morono either, or I would say it is a dog or pass fight at these odds. Uh, the pick is going to be Griffin by decision. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Thomas Gifford, who is 17-8, taking on Mike Davis, who is 7-2. The opening line for this one was Davis, the favorite at minus 190 to Gifford, plus 150. Right now, we are seeing Davis, minus 260 to Gifford, plus 220. Very interesting matchup in this one. We got Davis coming in here on extremely short notice i'm talking like four or five days short notice maybe even less than that we just got word that he was coming in filling in for i forget who um brock weaver i think and they they managed to keep gifford on this card but gifford's first fight in the ufc was was not not a good showing at all it was against roosevelt roberts he got taken down quite easily in that fight he really struggled off his back he spent maybe seven or eight minutes on his back in that entire fight and he didn't do much he had trouble getting up he had a little bit of success he got his own takedown in in round three and kept roberts down for a little bit but he just really struggled in the entire fight. He he was getting outstriked by Roberts on the feet, getting tagged with some hard punches, and he's really a guillotine or bust kind of fighter. I mean, I think most of his wins have come by way of guillotine, honestly. So he's kind of willing to get taken down, and then he tries to snatch up that submission. But he, he got his guard passed really instantly by Roberts and Roberts has actually lost a fight since then versus Vince Peichel and realized that uh, Roberts isn't as high level as we thought. So I think that Gifford's loss actually looks even worse than it did when it happened a few months ago. So uh, meanwhile, Davis's Mike Davis's loss to Gilbert Burns in his debut doesn't look so bad because Burns is on a tear. Burns has beaten welterweights, uh, high level welterweights like Konchenko and Nelson, and. Uh, Davis, uh, what I wouldn't say had a competitive fight with Burns, but he he definitely uh, hung in there for a little bit. He defended some submission attempts for, from uh, Burns for a while, and uh, eventually did succumb to a rear naked choke in round two. But it was a respectable performance, I would say. It was a real real tough matchup in his UFC debut, and uh, they kind of fed him to the wolves there. Um, so getting down to this matchup, uh, I think honestly it's closer than what the lines indicate. Um, I would say that Gifford is going to have the better cardio in this spot. He was the one preparing for six, eight weeks, although uh, Davis has been tra tra training very heavily, training over at the Tiger Muay Thai tryouts, um, probably in very good shape, and he's confident in his cardio to be taking this on four days' notice. Uh, and it's a very good matchup. I think that he should be able to outstrike Gifford on the feet. He throws very powerful punches, although I'm not too impressed with Davis's uh, I wouldn't say he has a very uh, 
versatile technique, uh, versatile arsenal on the feet in this one. I think that his his offense is a little bit limited. It's mostly just power punches, the occasional calf kick or something like that. But uh, he struggled with the striking of Sadiq Youssef big time. That was a fight that, that took place at 145 pounds, and he was dropped versus Youssef. His cardio dropped off in round two. And he was suffered a lot of calf kicks in that fight. Took a lot of damage. Uh, has his cardio has looked better at, at 155 since he moved up. But I think that this is, uh, as I mentioned, a, a closer fight than the odds indicate. I think that Gifford could just grind this fight out. I think that. Davis could knock Gifford out possibly on the feet. Yeah, Gifford does not have good defense. Davis throws a lot of power. But if Davis doesn't get a, maybe a finish in round one, I think this fight will get real interesting. We could see Gifford steal this fight on the scorecards in a, in a grinding type of uh, fashion. I mean, look at last week. I was super confident in Maki Patolo getting the early first round knockout on Potter. He was tagging Potter up with punches in round one. The, the bets were looking good. All of a sudden, Potter withstood that early attack my uh Patolo gassed out a little bit, and then Potter ground grinded out rounds two and three for the decision, coming through as that big three to one underdog. Completely unexpected. It it shocked me. I was totally wrong about it, and we we might see this fight happen uh, similar. Davis coming in on short notice. His cardio will be uh, questionable to say the least. Um, so I'm actually gonna make a bold pick, and I'm gonna go with Gifford to grind this decision out and win this one, 29-28. I think he loses the first round. He hangs in there. We see a, a cardio drop off from Davis, and I think that we could see Gifford hitting takedowns, getting in top position, and winning rounds two and three. So it's a bold pick. I wouldn't say there's too much tape to back it up, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just make the pick. Anyway, Gifford by decision. I'm sure you can get some juicy odds on that. Maybe three to one, four to one on the decision. Gifford by decision, four to one. Yeah, so uh, that's definitely a good bet. Uh, probably throw a half unit stab on that one, and uh, maybe even some money line action on Gifford. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to move on to the next fight. The last fight on the prelims we have in the light heavyweight division, Devin Clark, who is 10-3, taking on Ryan Spann, who is 16-5. The opening betting line for this one was Spann, minus 215 to Clark at plus 165. Right now, line margins is tightening up. Spann, minus 150, Clark, plus 130. So both of these gentlemen coming off of an impressive win in their last fight. Span getting that early first round knockout over uh, Lil Nog. And Dev Clark winning that decision versus Stosic. Uh, so it's a very good matchup and it's, it's a tough fight to pick. I think that Span will be the better striker on the feet. I've, I was impressed with his boxing versus Nog. I think he he will he should be the longer fighter. I'm not looking at statistics right now. I'm just basing off of what I've seen from the uh, the guys. I think Span should have the longer reach. He's got a good jab. He actually knocked out uh, Nogueira with a nice uppercut. So I think he's definitely making improvements in his boxing and. Uh, he can has he has a decent ground game as well. He can hit a submission. He can get on top and and uh, do some damage with ground and pound. But I think that his ground game is definitely his biggest weakness. His takedown defense is not very good, and he can be out grappled. Uh, we saw Luis Henrique take him down four times in their fight um, just a, a year or two ago. So 
I expect Clark to be uh, chasing the takedowns pretty heavily in this one. Comes from a wrestling background. I think he actually might be an All-American wrestler or something like that. Uh, definitely a, a decent wrestling pedigree, college wrestling pedigree for Clark. Um, so on the feet, Clark is a bit chinny. He has been dropped and knocked out a few times before. But he's also faced some pretty heavy hitters like Stosic and like Mike Rodriguez. And he, he's used his advantage. He knows he's the better gr uh, the better grinder. He's better uh, in the takedowns. He's better in the clinch. And he didn't mess around with striking too much at range. And he was getting inside on people and making it that dirty fight and winning decisions. So I think he's going to try to do that here. And I think he's going to be successful. I think that Span just doesn't have the footwork or doesn't have the takedown defense, pop, nor the get-ups to stop the grappling of Clark. I think that uh, if this fight stays at range, Span will be outboxing Clark, possibly even getting that knockout. But I see Clark getting inside on him, uh, making it that grinding, dirty type of fight, pushing him up against the cage, uh, landing some clinch strikes, eventually getting that takedown and getting that top pressure on Span. So uh, I like Clark's chances, plus 120, I think the odds are right now. I think that that's some pretty good, uh, plus 130 on Clark right now. I'd say that's a pretty decent uh, money line bet, and I'm going to go with Clark to win the decision in this one. All right, now moving on to the main card portion of the podcast. Starting things off in the middleweight division, we have Eric Anders, who is 12 and 4, taking on Gerald Mearshart, who is 30 and 11. The opening betting line for this one was Anders, the favorite, at minus 150 to Mearshart at plus 110. Right now, we are seeing Anders minus 160, Mearshart plus 140. Uh, I'm going to go with GM3 instead of Mearshart because I just find it uh, easier to say. Um, so, very good, interesting fight here. Uh, Mearshart is just a really funny fighter, man. You gotta you gotta love this guy's type of fight. I mean, he willingly accepts bottom. He doesn't have great takedown defense. He takes a lot of damage, but he's got great sweeps, great reversals, and really good submissions as well. He's just comfortable being in that grinding, uh, grappling type of fight. I feel like I might have mentioned that that term grinding. 10 times this podcast already sorry if i'm reiterating myself too much but that's really just mirshar's style he's comfortable being in that those heavy grappling fights where he spends possibly the entire fight grappling and i just don't think anders has the grappling cardio to keep up with mirshar and i think that as this fight gets later and later the chances for mirshar get better and i think that the, the opportunity for a mirshar submission will present itself in the second and third rounds of this fight and similar to his fight with Trevin Giles, I mean, Mearshart was getting taken down in that fight. He was getting outstruck, maybe some damage landing on him. But then he would reverse position. He would get on top himself. He had very close rounds one and two. And then he was on bottom again in round three. He reversed position. He caught a guillotine and choked uh, Trevin Giles out cold. So it was an incredible performance, a come from behind win. Uh, I mean, he might. It might not even have been a come from behind. He might have won rounds one and two. They were really close rounds, um, but his, his rounds are hard to score because he might spend two and a half minutes on his back. He might spend two and a half minutes on top. So they're super hard rounds to score. And I would say that if this fight goes to the the decision, it favors Anders a little more because. Mirashard had a close fight with Kevin Holland not too long ago. He probably should have won on the scorecards in that one, but Holland won on the scorecards because Mirashard just doesn't have the best style for winning rounds. Um, 
So on the feet in this one, I think Anders should be the better striker. He's kind of a low output striker. He's got a decent left hand, throws with some power in that left hand, but uh, not really overly impressed with Anders striking. Uh, he has beat some decent grapplers before. Uh, Marcus Perez sticks out. He defended an Anaconda submission from Perez in that fight, was able to end up on top and to uh, win the rounds from top position in that one once Perez's submission failed. But uh, I just don't see Anders having the footwork or the takedown defense to totally avoid the grappling of GM3 in this one. So I think that GM3 makes this his typical style of fight where he uh, is hanging on to the clinch and he's making it ugly. It might be a boring fight. You might hear some boost from the crowd, but he's slowly wearing his opponents down and he has a bit of a deceitful style. Like in rounds one and two, you might... Uh, be able to get up from his takedowns but he will make note of how you got up from those takedowns and then he'll try to hit submissions off of those get ups in rounds two and three so gm3 is a really crafty grappler and i think that he finds a way to get this fight to the floor to to keep this fight on the floor to tire anders out and then get that round two or round three submission so i think that uh GM3's money line has some value on it at plus 140. Uh, definitely think he'll fight for your money at that price. And I'm going to pick GM3 to get the upset victory uh, in this one by submission. I think I'm going with a lot of dogs in this card, to be honest. Uh, I don't know which ones. Let's see what. I uh, picked Aldana as a dog, and I picked Clark as a dog, and now uh, we picked um, our boy. Gifford as a dog, and now we're going with uh, Mearshart as a dog too, so we're going to keep the ball rolling in this one. And uh, speaking of dogs, I, I like another one in the next fight. We got in the lightweight division, Luis Pena, who is 7-1, taking on Matt Frivola, who is 7-1-1. The opening betting line for this one was Pena minus 165 to Frivola plus 125. Right now we are seeing Pena minus 162 frivola at plus 140 so two-way action coming in on this fight i would say with a little more towards luis pena's way and this is going to be a real, really close fight and both of these guys are pretty skilled grapplers and i think it could be a similar fight to the last one that we mentioned where it's going to be uh as a here it goes again a grinding type of fight where frivola is going to be pressing uh pressuring he's going to be looking for takedowns looking to push for a pain against the cage and to hit takedowns he comes from a wrestling background and i've actually been impressed with frivola's wrestling he's got good double legs he has good single legs not the greatest top pressure and pena does have pretty decent defensive grappling as well he can defend takedowns he can scramble if he gets taken down on the ground but i just i, I like frivola's chances at winning this fight because uh pena should be the better striker on the feet uh but not by a huge margin honestly i mean he's definitely more technical but frivola is going to be pressure and he's going to be throwing big power punches to set up his takedowns and he couldn't end up landing on pena just because he's so aggressive uh and pressures so much so I think that Frivola will come out here looking uh, early. He'll be pressuring, throwing big uh, overhand rights, looking to set up the takedowns. And I don't think I think he will hit takedowns. I don't think he will keep Pena down like he did versus Jalen Turner. I think that uh, 
Frivola hits the takedowns, maybe gets a little bit of top position, but then eventually Pena scrambles back to his feet. And that's when I say it's going to be the grinding type of fight because Frivola is just not going to let Pena go. Pena might stand back up to his feet. He might get be leaning against the cage, but then Frivola is probably going to drag him back down to the ground. And in my opinion, I just think that Frivola has more ways to win the fight. I think he could... Uh, possibly hang on the feet with Pena and win a, a striking kickboxing type of fight like he did versus Venata, uh, which would, fight ended up going to a draw, but it was a very close fight. You know, good showing from Favola in that one. And I think that Favola could win this fight via decision uh, by just having more top time than uh, than Pena. I think he could hit the takedowns. He could stay on top for a few minutes, and he could do just enough to, to steal a few rounds. We might also see Pena have great takedown defense, have great get-ups, scrambles, uh, get back up to his feet, create distance, and use his superior technique to outstrike Frivola on the feet. There's a lot of possibilities for this fight, and that is why it's close. But as I mentioned earlier, I like the dog in this one. I'm going to go with Matt Frivola to win the decision in this one. I think that he is the one on top more. He's going to be hitting takedowns. He's going to be making a more of an impression in uh, the judge's mind. And I just don't think you can lay minus 150 or higher at Pena to rely on him to stuff the takedowns, to rely on him to not spend too much time on his back because he has lost close decisions before in a pretty grappling-heavy fights. A look at his fight versus Mike Trezano. He just didn't do enough in the rounds uh, to, to steal it on the scorecard, although he probably had a good case for winning that fight via decision. So close fight, really looking forward to it. I'm going to go with Frivola to win the decision as and cash as the plus 140 underdog. The next fight takes place in the women's strawweight division. We have Mackenzie Dern, who is 7-0, taking on Amanda Hibas, who is 7-1. The opening betting line for this one was Dern, the favorite, at minus 245 to Hibas, the plus 175 underdog. Right now, we are seeing... Dern minus 145, Hebos plus 125. So a lot more action coming in on Hebos in this one, and rightfully so. That opening line was set uh, way too in favor of Dern. I do favor Dern in this fight, but I think that Rebos is making big improvements fight to fight. She came off that three-year layoff versus Emily Whitmire, and she honestly looked like a completely different fighter from her fights uh, back in 2016. She looked pretty sloppy. In 2016, she got TKO'd on the feet by Poliana Viana, of all people, and I honestly was picking her uh, to lose to Emily Whitmire, but she made massive, massive improvements in those three years off. Her striking looked sharp. She didn't really show it too much, although she appeared to be the better striker and appeared to be able to land hard shots on Whitmire. She was really adamant on getting the clinch, getting the takedowns, and uh, the back takes on Whitmire, and it worked out great. She got the takedown. She got two back takes, a lot of top control in round one. Um, she got a back take for around two and a half minutes, wasn't able to get the submission, got reverse, spent the last 90 seconds on her back, but probably still won the round. Then in round two, she chased that takedown heavy, got the back take, landed some ground and pound, and got the finish. So it was an extremely impressive performance from Hebos coming off of that long layoff and beating a pretty decent opponent like Emily Whitmire. Meanwhile, Mackenzie Dern, her last fight was against uh, Amanda, Amanda Bobby Cooper 18 months ago. And she missed weight in that fight. She was able to get the, the, the finish the, 
actually wait that fight wasn't wasn't quite 18 months ago let me figure out the exact date on that one i think it was a little more recently than that one but still a pretty decent layoff for mackenzie dern uh that fight was in may of 2018 so um Pretty, yeah, pretty, I was pretty spot on, 17-month layoff um, for uh, Mackenzie Dern in this one. And she's also coming off pregnancy. She had a baby four months ago, which is insane. You know, uh, tons of respect to Mackenzie Dern for coming back to, to the octagon this soon after having a baby. But um, you got to wonder how much it will affect her. I don't think it will, honestly. I think that uh, that's a big narrative around this fight is, uh, how good shape Dern will be in and how serious she can be trained in with a newborn baby. And it's a, it's a legitimate concern, but I just don't think it'll have too much of a, an effect in this one. Dern actually looks in great shape. She made weight for this one, 115 pounds, and that's a great sign. She missed her the last fight she weighed in at 123 pounds, one of the biggest weight misses in UFC history. And now she's coming in here. She looks fit. She looks uh, like she got rid of a lot of that extra body fat she was carrying in her early fights. And I actually expect Dern to be in the best shape of her life uh, for this fight here. So getting down to this matchup. On the feet, um, Dern's striking is actually pretty bad. I mean, she wings wild and untechnical punches. Just straight wings punches. Big loopy overhand punches. No technique behind them. And then her defense as well. She does. She seems to have no defense. I mean, she uh, doesn't react to punches well. She doesn't move her head. She was actually getting outstruck by uh, Ashley Yoder when that fight was staying on the feet at range. She actually got briefly dropped with a left hand that hit her behind the ear versus uh, Yoder in that fight too. So, um, if this fight stays on the feet and is contested at striking range, I do expect Hibas to be the more technical fighter and to be able to land some hard strikes on Dern. But I think Dern won't mess around with uh, with the range in this one. I think she will be looking to close the distance, hit takedowns, and get this fight to the floor. I haven't mentioned it yet, but Mackenzie Dern, world-class jiu-jitsu black belt, one of the best female, female grapplers of all time. I mean, you could probably make the case that she is the best, most accomplished female jiu-jitsu practitioner of all time. I mean, her accolades are crazy. I think she's she's got some gold ADCC medals in there, although I'm not entirely sure. Um, Hibas is, is a, a skilled grappler. She comes from a grappling background, but I actually think that'll be a bit of a detriment to her in this fight. Um, because if she thinks that her grappling can compete with Dern, she, she will be very wrong and she will probably pay the price by getting tapped out in this one because she was extremely adamant on grappling versus Whitmire and she will not be able to do that in this fight and we have no idea how good Hibas's takedown defense is we don't know how good her get-ups are we don't know how good she is off her back but I don't see her being good enough off of her back or or yeah, I don't see her being good enough off her back to be able to get up from the takedowns of Dern in this one. I mean, maybe she can stuff the takedowns of Dern and avoid the takedown at all because Dern's offensive wrestling is actually pretty bad. I was really underwhelmed with Dern's takedowns in her fights versus uh, Cooper and Yoder. Um, they were really bad takedowns. Eventually, she did get the takedown with a single leg in round three versus Yoder and get that back take to probably steal round three and probably still round one of that fight to edge a close decision. But that was a split decision. So it, it, it'll be a close fight, honestly. I think that I think that Dern will get outstruck at range uh, pretty quickly in this one. She will look to close the distance. 
Uh, I'm not going to say that she will easily get the takedowns, but I think that Derman will just find a way to get to fight the fight to the floor as it goes on. She'll either pull guard or Hibas will start to get tired and her takedown defense will suffer. And then Hibas will end up on her back. And Dern's top game is just incredible. Um, the, probably the best top game of uh, any woman in mixed martial arts right now. And if Dern is able to get Hibas on her back, she should dominate once the fight gets there. So uh, either Dern wins rounds on top or gets that submission on Hibas. I lean with her getting that submission, so I'm going to go with Dern to win by second round submission. And where the line is at now, minus 145, I actually think that this is a favorite or pass situation. I think that there's not much value on Hibas. I mean, you're really relying on Hibas to have some great takedown defense in this one and be able to outstruck he- uh, Dern at range. But even though I think Hibas is the better striker, uh, similar to the last fight I mentioned with Frivola, Dern's going to be pressing forward and throwing big shots, and I'm not confident in Hibas's striking defense to avoid those big, powerful punches. So Dern could make it a little closer on the feet than we're expecting. I think Dern has more pass to victory. She could win a low-output kickboxing fight, and she uh, definitely should outgrapple Hibas on the floor. So the pick is going to be Dern to win by... Actually, I'll go with decision, not submission. I think that uh, Hibas's uh, uh, grappling might be good enough to knock it submitted so Dern by decision is the pick the next fight takes place in the welterweight division we have James Vick who is 13 and 4 taking on Nico Price who is 13 and 3 the opening betting line for this one was Price the favorite at minus 175 to Vick the plus 135 underdog right now we are seeing Price minus 145, Vic plus 125. So more action coming on James Vic, surprisingly. I think James Vic is a constantly overrated fighter in the betting aspect of things. I mean, if we look at his past few fights, he actually closed as the favorite versus Justin Gaethje, which is unfathomable. I mean, he, I think Gaethje... Uh, looked like a minus 400 uh, fighter in that fight and if they fought nine times or they fought 10 times I think that Gaethje would win eight or nine of them so the fact that he was the favorite in that one was ludicrous he uh, let's see he closed as a slight favorite versus Paul Felder as well again if that fight played out 10 times I think Felder wins that fight seven out of ten times Hooker versus Vic he closed as a slight underdog in that one and again Hooker wins that fight eight or nine times out of ten. So those are three fights in a row where he was definitely overvalued in the betting lines. And I think that he's getting overvalued here. I mean, he's moving up in weight class. You know, it's you like to see a fighter move up in weight class after a win. You don't want to see them move up in weight class after three straight losses and out of desperation because that is what this is. This is James Vick desperately trying to save his career by moving up to welterweight uh, maybe thinking his his chin will improve by moving up in weight i mean he does cut an insane amount of weight and i'm sure that his uh, weight cut affects his chin and why he gets knocked out so easily but the core of it is his boxing defense i I, i've trashed james vick on this podcast before for it and he deserves every bit of it his boxing defense fucking sucks and the fact that he hasn't fixed it yet proves that he should not be in the UFC. I mean, if you get knocked out because of your tall man defense, okay, take some time off, 
you fix it, you come back, it should be improved, right? Okay, it, it wasn't improved versus Felder. He didn't pay the price in that one. He didn't get knocked out, although he got took a lot of damage in that one. And the, the tall man's defense is still there versus Hooker, and, and a skilled boxer like Hooker timed it perfectly and knocked him out cold. I mean, he suffered two absolutely brutal knockouts in the past 15 months or so. I'm talking knockouts where he was out cold for multiple minutes afterwards. He had no idea where he was afterwards. He was like wrestling the referee and stuff like that. So he's just taken a massive, massive amount of damage. And I think that, as I mentioned, this is a desperation move to move up to welterweight. Now, the UFC must be sick and tired of James Vick as well in this one because if they wanted to give him, if they wanted to keep him in the UFC, there are about 50, 75 guys at welterweight that he actually probably has a chance of beating. But I don't think Nico Price is really one of them. Um, getting over to Nico Price, I mean, the, the, the dude is a, a fucking crazy fighter, man. I, I love this guy. He um, has insane power in his hands. I think he might have some of the pound for pound most powerful boxing in all of the UFC and I wouldn't even call it boxing I would just call it his hands are just so powerful because you saw it in in the way he knocked out Randy Brown from the bottom he just has an insane amount of power I don't know where it comes from but um, it's just there I mean he's kind of a skinny lanky guy he just has insane insane amounts of power Um, so he can he can get outstruck by a more technical striker like Tim Means, but then he will still come back and land that power shot and knock him out. The incredible fight versus Tim Means. Last fight versus uh, Jeff Neal, he actually was able to touch the chin of Jeff Neal a little bit. I mean, Neal looked invincible in his first few fights in the UFC, and then he got in a brawl versus Nico Price, and he looked a little bit human. Uh, he... He eventually did get stuck on bottom in round two of that fight. Uh, did get taken down a few times by Jeff Neal. Not really the, the the best wrestler. And he got stuck on bottom and eventually got TKO'd uh, with ground and pound from his back. But not not the best sign from Price getting stuck on your back versus uh, Neal, a guy who's not really known for, for his grappling. And I think that uh, if Vic has... A, a, a lick of IQ left in his in his brain or his trainer, you know the the, the Lord uh, the world famous Lloyd Irvin. Um, if they have any sense about them, they will try to take this fight to the floor and to try to outgrapple Price. Price has been taken down before. He's been outgrappled. He's been tapped out before a few times. So uh, I think that James Vick only chance at winning this fight is by submission and i don't think it happens i mean james vick in his ufc career i think it's maybe 10 12 fights he has landed three takedowns and he has been taken down 16 times um actually i'm I'm sorry he's landed two takedowns and he's been taken down 16 times so his you just can't rely on his offensive wrestling in this spot so if you're betting him at plus 125 you're relying on him either outstriking uh, Price, having extremely improved defense, having an improved chin, and then winning this fight uh, via outstriking him for 15 minutes, or you're relying on him taking him down and outgrappling him and tapping him out. And I just don't think that his chances of doing so are high enough. They're certainly not plus 125. Uh, I would actually cap Price as more of a minus 250, minus 300 favorite in this one. I think Price... Uh, I mean, we, I think we'll, how the fight will go is 
on the feet, Vic will outstrike Price for maybe a minute or two. He will look good. He will be landing some straight punches. But then Price is gonna, just going to be setting up that power shot. Eventually, he's going to land that bomb on, on Vic's chin and probably knock Vic out along the way. And uh, you know I've been I've been uh, going pretty harsh at Vic in this in this breakdown. You know I, I, it sounds like I don't have too much respect for the guy. Uh, I definitely don't. Um, so uh, very rare that I, I would say that I don't respect the fighter. But James Vic would definitely be one of the ones who I don't respect. So uh, I, I I'm going to pick Nico Price to win the no- uh, win by knockout in this one. I'm going to pick him to win uh, in the first round. And then I actually say that there's some pretty decent value on his uh, his money line. I see a lot of people betting the under in this one. I think that that's a pretty good bet as well. I definitely think that it goes under in this one. Um, so uh, should be a fun fight, and I hope to see James Vick knocked out. And moving on to the co-main event of the evening, we have in the featherweight division Cub Swanson, who is 25 and 11, taking on Crone Gracie, who is 5 and 0. The opening betting line for this one was Gracie, the favorite, at minus 265 to Swanson, the underdog, at plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Gracie minus 165 to Swanson, plus 145. So, Gracie, the favorite in here. I understand why he's the favorite. He's got the Gracie last name. He's got the name recognition. Cub Swanson coming off of four losses in a row. Uh, two of them by way of submission. He lost by way of submission seven times in his career. So uh, on paper, I see why Crone Gracie is the favorite. But um, in terms of if an odds maker, if an experienced MMA fan really watched the, the tape on these two, I don't see how you cap Gracie as the favorite, honestly. I, I think that Gracie has a chance at getting that back take or getting that submission on uh, Swanson in some form. I just don't think his chances of doing so are more than 50%. I would actually cap them more around 30-35%. I really think that this is a good matchup for Cub Swanson. He's coming off of those uh, four losses in a row, as I mentioned. so not not the best performances in there. Got dropped by a jab versus uh, Moiscano. Back taken, t- tapped out. Got tapped out twice versus uh, Ortega in the same fight with a, a guillotine. And but he, along the way, he two of his losses he's looked pretty good in. I mean, his fight versus Frankie Edgar, it was a very low output. Not much happened in that fight, but he stuffed eight of eight takedowns versus Frankie Edgar. And Edgar just took down Max Holloway last fight. He He's definitely fading in his uh, in his uh, athleticism, but he still has that great wrestling base. And the fact that Swanson was able to stuff eight of eight takedowns is an extreme accomplishment. And Swanson's fight with with Burgos last fight was was pretty competitive as well. I did give it to Burgos. I thought he should have won the decision, but it was a split decision as one of the judges uh, scored it. And I thought that Swanson looked pretty decent in that fight along the way. So uh, getting down to how this one matches up. Gracie, uh, I mean, in his in his small sample of fights that we've seen so far, I've been I've been really unimpressed with his MMA skill. Um, let's we'll start things off with his Ryzen fights. In his fight with Kawajiri, he traded with Kawajiri in some weird clinch exchange for a few minutes, and it was just a really 
weird exchange and it was extremely worrisome i mean it showed that he he doesn't have good instincts or uh fight iq yet i mean he only has maybe 15 20 minutes of octagon time total so it's hard to have a great iq he hasn't been too very active over the past few years either so it's hard for him uh hard to rely on his fight iq there and i just think that on the feet in this one gracie has is, is extremely uh liable for for getting hit with some punches i mean his, his striking defense is not very good and uh he he has that hand slow style he th- throws those lead leg kicks to try to get inside on you and try to get that uh, body lock of some sort and he did it effectively versus alex caceres he was throwing those lead leg kicks he faked one of them he got the 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 body lock standing back take got the rear naked choke in about 30 seconds so I think that Gracie will need another uh, back take in this in this fight to win because I don't see Gracie having the wrestling to take Swanson down. Uh, we have not really seen Gracie wrestle at all. We he's really a, a guard pull type of guy or get a standing back take and get the fight to the floor that way. I definitely think that Swanson's takedown defense will hold if Gracie tries to take him down uh, via wrestling. Uh, Gracie would need a, a crafty back take like he got versus Caceres to win this fight, quite honestly. If this fight is at range, I, I think uh, Swanson outboxes Gracie handedly and could even possibly hurt and knock out Gracie on the feet in this one if it stays on, uh, striking for a long period of time. So I favor Swanson in this one. I think that plus 145 is way off. I think that he should be the favorite in this one. And I already have two units on uh, Cub Swanson at plus 145 possibly might even add more. Uh, I mean, I just really favor this matchup for him. I think that uh, Gracie, um, I, won't, I won't reiterate too more. I think he will need a back take. I think he it's submission or bust for Gracie. I don't see him getting top position on Swanson and, and not submitting him for 15 minutes and making this one last the, to the decision. So the pick is going to be Swanson. I'm going to go with him to stuff the takedowns, to avoid the submission, and to knock Crone Gracie out in round two of this fight. Um, really looking forward to this fight. Um, I could be dead wrong about it. Gracie could look very improved here. He could uh, he could get that back take. He could get that first round submission and make me look like a fool for for trashing him this much. I mean, I I, I respect Kern Gracie a lot. I mean, I really like the guy uh, as a as a human being. I think he's a, a super cool guy. You can see all of his vlogs on YouTube. And I wish him success in the UFC. I really wish he would round about his his MMA game and get some more experience in the UFC. But I think the UFC is actually feeding him to the wolves a little too soon in this one uh, versus Swanson they, they think that Swanson's on a four fight losing streak getting towards the end of his career and it should be an easy win for Gracie but I think that they, they're going to be shocked to realize that Swanson still has a lot left in the tank and I think that he will uh, eventually finish Crone Gracie via second round knockout in this one bold prediction I know but I'm telling you I'm going with a lot of dogs on this card and that brings us to the main event of the evening in the women's strawweight division. We have Joanna Jajek, who is 15-3, and taking on Michelle Waterson, who is 17-6. and The opening betting line for this one was Joanna Jajek, minus 350, to Waterson, plus 275. Right now, we are seeing Jajek, minus 335, to Waterson, plus 275. So when I'm referring to uh, Jajek, we'll be calling her Joanna. Uh, as she is uh, very notoriously known as, also known as JJ, um, the former champion. And 
you know, what an incredible fight. Really looking forward to this matchup. Really excited to, to see these women go five rounds. And it's gonna be it's gonna be I think closer than the odds indicate. I think that Joanna Yetjechek wins this fight via decision, but I believe it will be a lot closer. So we'll start with uh, just the news surrounding this fight. There was a lot of speculation around the weight cut for this fight, and uh, recording this fight or this podcast uh, Friday morning. Uh, was partially waiting for the the weigh-in to happen because there was there was speculation this fight could be canceled. They were allegedly offering Michelle Waterson fights on different cards or possibly offering her uh, uh, a late replacement matchup for this card. But uh, Joanna said that that's that's not necessary. She was a professional. She made the weight anyway. But uh, it was interesting to, to see where what that claim means. I mean, a rumor like that doesn't come out of nowhere. If the UFC was actively offering Michelle Waterson other fights, it had to be a pretty serious uh, allegation or rumor. So JJ did make the weight. She weighed in at 115.5. She looked good on the scale. She was in good spirits. And... I don't think that it will necessarily have an effect on her performance Saturday night, but it was certainly weird. You know, you, you it's certainly weird that the fight was, I mean, the, the main event was rumored to be canceled fight week, and then all of a sudden, all is well, weight is made. So uh, maybe there's an underlying in, injury or issue with Joanna. I mean, the, the, the speculation has been that she did get um, breast implants since her last fight, and maybe she was having trouble making the weight with, with the new implants. I mean, it sounds a little disrespectful, but it, honestly, I mean, she made a, 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 an alteration to her body that added weight to her. And I, I should also mention that her last fight was at 125 pounds. So not only did she um, get her, her breast enhanced, she fought her last fight uh, at a weight class 10 pounds above, which as we know for women, especially smaller women, that extra 10 pounds is a big percentage of your body weight. Um, so uh, that's where the speculation amongst this fight comes in. And you always, it's funny because there's 13, 14 fights on a card. There's not really too many rumors about the, the bottom fights, but in the main event, there's always some narrative around the fight. And I'd say most of the times that narrative does not affect the actual outcome of the fight. Um, so getting down to breaking down this matchup, um, Watterson comes from that, that karate background. She's got great kicks. She's actually improving her, her striking and her boxing overall. I don't think her boxing will be nearly good enough to compete with Joanna and Jacek in this one. Um, so that's where her main struggle will come is in the boxing range. And Watterson has great takedowns. I mean, I'm impressed with her wrestling. She has a, a pretty decent array of takedowns. She can hit a single leg, a double leg, and but her favorite takedowns would be the trip takedowns. She likes getting the body lock and going with those inside-outside trips, and she does them very effectively. I, I'm, I'm impressed with Watterson's wrestling skill. And then when she gets the fight to the floor, she's got good top pressure. She can... Uh, she can attack off of her back with strikes or submissions, throwing up arm bars. And Michelle Watterson is just a really well-rounded fighter. Um, she might even be more well-rounded than, than Joanna because Joanna doesn't have a very great jiu-jitsu game, doesn't have a great offensive wrestling game, but she doesn't need it because she has incredible takedown defense. She's got great get-ups, and she's got elite-level striking. I mean, she has some of the best... 
Uh, I mean, Joanna is no doubt one of the best female fighters of all time. I put her, if, if she's not in your top five, you're doing it wrong. She, uh, the, the way she was able to round about her game from, uh, from just uh, being a, primarily a striker to developing that insane takedown defense and insane get-ups. Uh, just showed how high level she is of a martial artist, and I could be could be dead wrong about claiming that Waterson is overall w- more well rounded. But uh, starting things or starting to see how this fight goes down, I just think that Joanna's volume and her accuracy will be a little bit too much for what Waterson. I see Joanna outstriking Waterson in the first maybe one, two, three rounds pretty pretty cleanly. She's going to be uh, kicking uh, Waterson's legs a lot and going to be using her straight punches to keep Waterson away. But Waterson is going to be using her sidekicks, her karate background, and to try to keep Joanna at range and try to not let Joanna get into boxing range. And then maybe look to clinch Joanna up uh, make this fight dirty, uh, you know, try to outclinch her, try to land some good knees and elbows in the clinch, and eventually look to transition to her trip takedowns from the clinch as well. And I think Waterson will probably hit a takedown or two in this fight. I think she's going to make it a lot closer than people imagine. And there's, I don't have too much tape to back this up. I mean, Joanna has been got taken down with an outside trip takedown in round five of her fight versus uh, Rose. Not really the the best shred of evidence because they were kickboxing for 24 minutes straight, and then all of a sudden Rose decided to, to level change and was able to hit the takedown. Very well well set up by Rose in that one, and I don't think the takedown will come as easily in this one for Waterson. But Waterson's crafty, man. She she comes in with a good game plan. She she always comes in extremely dedicated, focused, motivated, and she's on a, a winning streak. She's trying to get that title. And I think that at this point in their careers, Waterson is the fighter who is improving more and more fight to fight. And I think she wants it more at this point in her career. Joanna, I think she wants to get her belt back and maybe uh, retire on top and she wants to i think i definitely think she joanna is still very motivated but she's just not making improvements the way waterson is she's not adding new tools to her game she's not um yeah that's the biggest thing she's not adding new tools to her game she's kind of the same fighter she has been for the past few years and waterson's coaches usually come in with a great game plan they usually study tape well they they find out the weaknesses of their fighter and drill it in the waterson's brain to execute that game plan so i have faith in michelle waterson man i'm not going out here and picking her as the underdog i'm not going with like my seventh or eighth underdog of the card but i think that this fight will be closer than people imagine i think that uh the value value in the betting line is on Waterson in this one. I would not be laying three to one on Joanna at this point in her career, especially um, with the, all the, you know, the rumors of, of, of the weight issue and just with with the, the trajectory of their careers. I think that Waterson is still on the rise while Joanna is uh, stagnant, possibly even declining. So um, the official Prediction for this one is going to be Joanna Jacek to win a decision 48 to 47. I think Joanna wins rounds one, two, and three, and I think Waterson wins rounds four and five. Now, it's it's a pretty bold claim because Waterson does not have as much five round experience. Joanna uh, has fought the full five rounds much more times, much more recently uh, than Waterson. But Waterson's been scheduled for it before back in her Invicta days and once versus Paige Van Zant in 2016. Um, never gone the full five, uh, the full 25 minutes, if I recall correctly, while Joanna has against extremely high-level women. And 
Uh, it's a bold claim saying that Watterson's cardio will take over late, but I, I think that it will. I think that uh, the, the takedowns will be a little more available in rounds four and five, and I think that Joanna won't have that energy to, to get back up to her feet, and we could see Watterson keep in top pressure and win in rounds four and five. So um, I, I'm honestly, I might be, che- I, I love both of these women, you know, I'm a, a big fans of both of them. They're great fighters, uh, you know, great personalities as well. Uh, I'm actually cheering for Watterson in this one. I think that, like I said, the, the, she has more upside. I think that she, um, she has more potential at this point in her career. And it might be stupid to, to, to give her this much respect just based on that alone. But uh, I, I'm, re- I'm giving respect to Watterson in this one. I think that, It'll be a close fight. It's going to be great, a really good one. Uh, we might see Joanna dominate. We might see her win 50-45 and you know, look like her elite-level self that she, she uh, typically does. But uh, I think we're seeing a bit of a drop-off in Joanna. I think that, that uh, this is... Uh, I mean, I think she's, what, lost two fights? Yeah, I mean, she's lost uh, two of her last three, while Watterson, I think, is on a three-fight win streak. So, um, you know, the, the as I mentioned, the trajectory is there. So really looking forward to this fight. It's dog or pass. I'm picking Joanna to win 48-47, um, but it's it's uh, definitely the value on Watterson in this one. So that'll be all for this podcast so far. Picking a lot of dogs on this card. And as I'll mention it one more time, all the dogs I like in this one. I like Aldana at plus 180. Uh, I like... Clark at plus 130. I like Mearshard at plus 140. I like Frivola at plus 140. I like Gifford at plus 220. I like Swan. I love Swanson at plus 145. And I even like Watterson a little bit at plus one uh, plus 275. Probably won't make bets on all those people. Uh, I will I will give you my fully updated bets on my bet MMA tips page, which you can find on my uh, my Twitter. Check me out on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. That is UFO underscore UFC. Uh, it's been 14 fights breaking down this week. Hope you all enjoyed them. Hope you enjoy the card this weekend. And I will catch you all next week. Peace. Peace.